Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Do you like your sport riddled with cheating, bribery and doping? Well, you've come to the right place because it's corruption all the way in today's show. We have a little bit of FIFA with US Murph. And you may have seen the Panorama documentary last night on doping in athletics. The most spectacular allegations centre around Alberto Salazar, who's the coach of Mo Farah and a huge figure in the sport in America. He's also the coach of Galen Rupp, another of Salazar's top guys. It's Rupp who is really at the centre of this, along with the coach. Rupp completed a 1-2, you might remember him, with Farah at the 10,000 metres in London. I'll outline some of the allegations in a few minutes when we chat to David Gillick, but another part of the programme focused, uh, this is on the Panorama documentary, focused on the more general question of how much EPO an athlete can take without it showing up on his biological passport. The reporter Mark Daly decides the only way to find this out was to order some of this stuff off the internet from China, use it in small doses and see what happened. And he did do this in a medically supervised manner, probably should be stressed. But what happened was, unsurprisingly, he increased his performance, did so by a margin of 7% without anything showing up in the tests. Which got me thinking, just what would a 7% improvement do to my marathon time? Kennedy is in Berlin for the Champions League final. Do you want to hear my conclusions again? Oh, I can't wait on how much would would you would you get under that uh, three and a half hour uh, barrier? Well, Ken, straight away I was doing the math in my head, but to be honest, I'm, my head's not great for numbers, so I had to write a few things down. I mm-hmm. constructed a very complicated algorithm here, uh, lobbed a few numbers in there. So, based on my personal best, right, of three hours forty two minutes and six seconds, a seven percent improvement would lob off just over fifteen and a half minutes, leaving me with an estimated finishing time of three hours, 26 minutes, and 33 seconds. But before you pop the champagne corks over in Berlin there, Ken, I can, I can feel your, your thumb just uh, hovering over the champagne cork. You gotta, there's another factor in this algorithm. Uh, it's very complicated stuff. Six years of wear and tear. I mean, that personal best was back in 2009. I was in, the, I was in my prime as an athlete, Ken, when I ran that. And my body's broken down quite a bit since then. So uh, Yeah, it's, 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 it's a wreck, yeah. I'm just going to input that in here, right? Just one second. No, that, okay, that adds three minutes and ten seconds, apparently. I don't know how it comes up with that, but there you go. So it leaves me still marginally underneath that mythical three-and-a-half-hour barrier again. Now all I have to deal with is my conscience. 
That must put you in the top 50th percentile of marathon runners uh, worldwide, Owen. Mm. Uh, you're better than the median marathon runner in the world. I mean, I have I, although you are using drugs <laughs> to get there. So uh, There is so, another yeah. argument here as well. I mean, you got, this guy, Mark Daly, last night, he did, he did increase his performance quite easily, while at the same time having to wrestle with his own conscience, even though he was doing this for what he would have seen as a logistical... A logistical, uh, a legitimate journalistic reason. He, I won't say he had to say to his mates, "Look, I'm not, I can't train with you guys." He does triathlons. He said, "I can't train with you guys anymore," and they they were probably asking why not. But he just felt he'd be too embarrassed at all these massive gains. He still felt like he was cheating, even though he, he technically was doing it for I don't know maybe a noble reason. So if I was to do, to microdose on EPO as he did and run the marathon, I'm, I'm, you got to fear. This isn't. This is the kind of thing, and we've talked a lot about statistics in sport recently, and how you measure certain qualities. I don't know if you can measure the emotional impact, the emotional turmoil that I'd be running this three and a half hour marathon through. Well, it depends what kind of person you are, Owen. I mean, some people find it easier to uh, to deal with those kinds of issues. Me, I think that you'd probably be one of those warriors. Uh, you'd be one of those. Oh, I don't know. Am I doing things the right way? Is it really defensible to, um, you know, to cheat? Am, am I really, you know? You'd be one of those kind of kind of people. Whereas others find it easy to ignore those sorts of distractions uh, and just get on with it by a variety of, of methods. I mean, either they assume that everybody else is doing what they're doing and they kind of have to do it. They're forced to do it by the system, or um, maybe in in some more uh, extreme cases, uh, they hope that nobody else is doing it. Uh, and that, therefore, this will enable them to uh, win the prizes that they crave. Uh, but one way or the other, guilt uh, isn't uh, a consistent psychological factor, I don't think. Some people are tortured by it, and some people find it quite easy to ignore. Sepp Blatter, a man who had found any... Well, he never admitted any sort of guilt, but he did resign, and we talked about that in the podcast yesterday. That was Wednesday. Since then, this story is great. It just uh, keeps on giving. The South African authorities have had their say. Uh, they were fairly, str- uh, fairly strident in saying that they had done nothing wrong around the bidding for the tw- 2010. Similar to Blatter, actually. They said, look, we just give the money. We how are we supposed to know who exactly does what after that? We've heard some dynamite evidence from Chuck Blazer. Uh, Jack Warner has made dark threats. And David Beckham has used the word despicable, I would argue, for the first time in his life. Former England captain David Beckham says, it is time for FIFA to change. I hope at least, I hope at last we are now moving in the right direction, said Beckham. Some of the things that we now know have happened were despicable, unacceptable, and awful for the game we love so much. Football is not owned by a few individuals at the top. It belongs to the millions of people around the world who love this sport. It is time for FIFA to change, and we should all welcome it. The only slight issue with that, I guess, is that uh, for the the Anglo-centric view of things is that UEFA and Europe and England should should regain uh, the sort of power that they used to have 60, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And uh, and that would lead to a situation that Beckham describes there quite quite well, that football would still be owned by a few individuals at the top. Yeah, I mean, you know, David Beckham is, is saying that this is despicable. Of course, this is saying David Beckham, who was hanging out with Jack Warner uh, in an attempt to curry favour for England's bid for 2018. It was over in Trinidad doing coaching clinics. And, you know, there's loads of photos of the two of them hanging out together. And they, they look like great friends in the picture. Similarly, Prince William, you can see, hanging out with Jack Warner, um, uh, you know, trying to press the flesh a little bit in the hope of getting him to vote for England's 2018 World Cup. And Gordon Brown, you can see, hanging out with Jack Warner. I mean, the, the point is that everybody was happy to hang out with Jack Warner. Um uh, you know, they're now kind of calling him despicable. Though, to be honest, um, it wasn't as though uh, Jack Warner's reputation was totally clean 
at that time. I mean, there was a lot of uh, information about him out there. Uh, anybody who'd ever heard of Andrew Jennings, I mean, we were, we're talking about Panorama in relation to uh, a different story, but Panorama had done stuff on this guy before. And people were, um, you know, quite happy to, to do what they felt had to be done at the time. Uh, David Beckham saying it has to change. And, you know, <laughs> I don't think too many people are going to uh, disagree with him there. But he was um, previously a willing uh, participant in the, in the old system. All right, well, David Gillick is just about ready to talk to us about this panorama, this week's panorama documentary. This is the one on, well, first of all, the contributors to it. Steve Magnus is a former assistant coach at the Nike Project in Oregon. Uh, Cara Goucher is America's top female distance runner. She was a a runner at Oregon as well. And a lot of the allegations centre around two men, Alberto Salazar, the coach, and Galen Rupp, one of his star men there. The most striking accusation, I thought, centred around an old lab report from the campus itself, from the Oregon Project campus, with a note next to Rupp's name when he was still in high school, which said that he was presently on, that was while he was in high school, prednisone and testosterone medication. Um, This substance, prednisone, comes up quite a lot. You can use that usually to deal with asthma, but you do need therapeutic use exemptions to do so, and supposedly Rupp used it elsewhere without an exemption. There was a, it gets really dark when there's this package posted to Rupp by Salazar with a book inside it, as in a, a novel, a fictional novel of some sort. You open up the cover of that book and all the pages are hollowed out. Hidden inside are a couple of unidentified pills which were, were taken by, allegedly taken by Rupp. He's supposed to use IV drips elsewhere before races at the behest of Salazar. So a lot of stuff going on here. And uh, Salazar himself responded specifically via email to some of those documentary, to some of those allegations within the documentary. Since it came out yesterday, he says he's disappointed with the BBC and ProRepublica. ProRepublica is a website that David Epstein works for who wrote a piece in conjunction with the Panorama show. Uh, disappointed with them and the reporters, he uses inverted commas for reporters, who have allowed themselves to be used by individuals with agendas and have engaged in such inaccurate and unfounded journalism. Uh, as I said, we have got David Gillick ready to chat about this. David, how convincing did you find the allegations about Salazar and Galen Rupp? Yeah, like, uh, look, I, I watched it with intent yesterday. Um, and if I can be honest and not to sound like uh, a know-it-all, but... Nothing really startled me because in, in athletic circles, we've known this. We, we knew this was going on for years. Um, the whole kind of manipulation of TUE forms, particularly coming from, um, from Mo Farah's camp and, and, play, and, 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 and these things, like, this has been going on for years. And the, there's people out there who are manipulating, as I said, the TUE. So the TUE is a therapeutic use exemption form. So, for example, if you're an, if you're an asthmatic, you have to take an inhaler. So if you get drug tested, you have to have a TUE form that states that you are okay to take this inhaler. So a doctor has to assess you and literally rubber stamp the TUE form. Now, when we look at kind of what's going on over in Oregon, you know, it is funded very, very well. So they have a lot of funding, um, which includes kind of like having their doctor in there. Um, So when you have an in-house doctor, they're just going to stamp TUEs to beat the band. And I think we've seen that. So, you know, a lot of the athletes are on TUE forms. Like, for example, I know of one athlete has got up to 17 TUE forms, like 17 TUE forms to take various types of, um, of drugs, which in a way enhance performance. Now, 
away from the TUE forms, you've also got a certain amount of levels in your, in your body. So we're all able to have a certain amount of testosterone in our body. Some athletes are going to have less naturally than others. So what they've done here is they're just going to supplement. They're going to make sure that everyone is on the top level that they're allowed to have. Um, and the ways that they're doing this is they're just constantly testing their athletes. So what was mentioned last night regarding um, the testosterone cream, they were rubbing it on themselves and then they were getting tested. So yeah, to, just on that one, yeah, that that's uh, according to again according to the program last night, the son of Alberto Salazar is being used yeah. as sort of a guinea pig. So uh, he was getting this testosterone cream rubbed onto him, and the allegation from Steve Magnus, that assistant coach, is that the only reason to do this is to see how much you can get away with using without getting caught. One hundred percent, and that goes back to like constantly looking at the levels that are in your body now. Not every athlete can do that because we do, that would cost a fortune to, to kind of do week in, week out. Um, and the, the annoying thing is that like we've seen this kind of as a result of what's going on over in Russia as well, that the Russian Federation were testing their athletes before they went to championships to see if they were uh, going to fail a drug test. And if they failed a drug test, well, then that athlete wouldn't, wouldn't be sent and someone else would be sent in their place. But, you know, like I said, like this, I've heard of this for, going on for years and, I remember coming back from yeah, America. Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah, I was going to cut across there, David, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I came back from America in um, 2011, back to my training base in Loughborough, and one day the topic of conversation was um, was like which which British athlete was going to get a free ride to Olympic Olympic gold, <laughs> and I was kind of going, well, "What are you talking about?" And a lot of the lads were saying, "Well, if you look at the Olympics, um, each host tends to kind of have." medal winners coming out from the woodwork um, and they were kind of guessing okay, which British athlete was going to be the one that's going to get a free ride to Olympic gold and obviously without saying names but there was someone um, <laughs> you know someone in there that was mentioned quite regularly but it's like I said it's not overall surprising to me it's just more um, you know looking at kind of you know the public now see it and it's, it's opened a can of worms and this whole manipulation of um, the TUE forms has to be, that has to be looked at. And someone, whether it's in America, isn't asking the question of why is this athlete on this TUE? You know, because if I wanted to get a TUE exemption form, I'd have to go to the, my, like the Federation's doctor, Athletics Ireland, the Federation doctor, the Sports, Sports Institute, and they'd have to assess me and they'd have to rubber stamp it. Um, whereas over there, they're doing it in-house, they're doing it in that group. So the doctor is kind of, he's tied into making uh, these athletes um, the best that they can be and get on the podium. The coach is doing the same thing, so they're working in tandem. And, you know, it just seems to be that they're just... Everyone's on TUEs over there. It's so crazy. it sounds like you're totally convinced by it, David, because as I mentioned, Salazar said, look, this is inaccurate, unfounded journalism. They're, the people involved uh, in the documentary, the, the people who are having a go at me here and outlining these allegations have an axe to grind. Now, it doesn't go into any detail as to what that is, but that they have some sort of agenda. You feel, based on your own knowledge of the sport and what goes on and what you saw in the programme, that it seemed to be what was put out there struck a chord with you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you look at the certain athletes involved, like just look at their progression rates, look at where they've come from and look where they are currently. Um, and also the names, the people that did come out and actually gave an insight into what's going on. I think that was the big clincher for me regards, you know, we haven't seen that in the past. We haven't seen athletes who he has coached um, who actually know from day to day what's going on. And I think that's, that was startling for me um, and kind of gave it a lot of credibility like obviously it is journalism maybe there was a parts where it inflated but I do think um, 
there's no smoke without fire. And, you know, it, within athletic circles for years, there's been a lot of kind of, you know, issues and a lot of rumours. And um, it's just... It's, about, it's, about that camp, about that coach. Yeah, 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 there has been um, quite a lot over the years. And I think, you know, it, it's nothing new to me. It's just more kind of now the general public see what exactly is, is, is happening. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in regards WADA because the whole blood profiling, you know, to manipulate that and kind of get yourself to stay under the radar, like, you have to get tough. And if if they really need to look at their system to make sure that we are catching these guys. Yeah, we'll come back to the blood profiling uh, part because that, that was dealt with separately in the documentary. I thought, I thought it was quite interesting. But just on the on the Salazar stuff and on the Nike project, one of the um, allegations I mentioned there was that the, the this document appeared and was seen by the uh, by the assistant coach, by the man speaking out in this documentary. Uh, it had, next to the name of Galen Rupp, back when he was in high school, it had uh, that he had, had, was on testosterone medication, which as far as I can see, and according to David Howman, is very rarely uh, allowed, even if you are, uh, even if there, it doesn't even make sense that you would have a therapeutic use exemption for that. So it just shouldn't be allowed. And the fact that he was actually in high school when this was there, and Salazar says that that was just a misprint. It was supposed to be something called Testo Boost, which supposed supposedly is allowed with a, a TUE. Would that concern you that the, the the allegation there is that this guy, when he's quite young, still a kid, still in high school, was mm. was uh, onto this stuff? That's scary, yeah. yeah. Like that's, that is frightening. Like for someone, obviously, you know, a coach is kind of saying, okay, this guy's got a bit of talent um, and they start supplementing and getting him on certain kind of TUE exempt drugs or whatever at, a, at a, such a young age is incredible. Like that's that's just there's no morals in that, and that's the frightening thing. And I think in all of this, you, you just have people that are manipulating the whole system, and it's just it, that's not right. And I think when that was you know shown to to WADA, like that's the stuff that they really need to drill down deeper because there's people out there that are going to manipulate the system. They're going to look at kind of the next generation of talent and trying to nurture that in the wrong way and the wrong fashion. And in, in certain aspects, it, that's almost like grooming. It's just incredibly wrong. And um, it's, it, it, it made me feel sick, to be honest, because it's just, it's brutal. It's not, the, it's not the way the sport should be run. You touched on the other element of the documentary, the biological passport and the reporter, Mark Daly, taking the EPO, improving mm. his, everything really, improving his VO2 max, improving his power output. There was nothing surprising there. Everyone would understand like that, that. This, this stuff obviously works, otherwise there wouldn't be so many people taking it. But the fact that it didn't show up in his biological passport uh, seemed to be, I don't know, did that surprise you? That did surprise me, yeah. Um very much so. Like I, I really thought the blood passport was a massive step forward, but I didn't realise it was that easy to to use that word again, manipulate and stay under the radar. And that's that's the frightening thing. Like because these groups, like these kind of projects, they're well funded. All gear companies are doing it now. They have their own kind of like circle, their own coaches, their own athletes, and they have a lot of funding. So all you need is a doctor. All you need is someone who knows kind of the medical background and knows what they're doing, and they can manipulate it. They can stay under the radar. And, you know, there was a phrase used last night, micro micro doping. Mm. So you're just taking small amounts over a long period of time to keep you under the radar. And I think that's where the, the, the passport will fall down. Uh, it seems to, and it seems to be, but it's interesting because that does seem to be the biggest weapon in anti-doping testing, and now that's being called into question about how effective it might be. Did this documentary maybe reveal that the way to go about this now, the probably the best way to put the limited resources that are available to WADA and to others 
uh, into athletics is to actually go after the coaches, to go after the cultures where these things are developing as opposed to target testing specific athletes, which maybe isn't going to uh, ha- have the most benefit. Yeah, like I think it's um, both sides really. Like I, I think the athletes have to obviously take responsibility, but I do think there, are, there is some athletes out there that are almost brainwashed and that's coming from a coach. The coach is kind of probably telling these guys, you're not cheating, you're not cheating. Um, in actual fact, they are. But the athlete believes they're not cheating because they haven't failed a drug test. But when you see the, in, in the light of day that they're manipulating the whole system. Um, and I do think coaches have a huge role in this, and not only coaches, but agents as well. Um, and I think that's an area that really need to, uh, they really need to focus on because, okay, you can test an athlete, but sure. As again was mentioned last night, like Lance Armstrong never failed a drug test. Yeah. You know, so like you can test till the cows come home and you still mightn't catch people. But in actual fact, it's the team behind the athlete. It's the whole kind of um, support structure that's in place that is either brainwashing the athletes, is telling the athletes what to do. Um, and we've seen that in the past. Like when you look at, say, Dwayne Chambers and, you know, even in his book, he mentioned the, the role the doctor played. So the doctor had almost a bigger role than the coach. Yep. You wrote a really interesting piece on the RZ website a while back, David, on your time in Florida when you were in the US training with Tyson Gay, amongst others who've since tested positive. Uh, what I was stri- quite struck by just in the context of this documentary last night was that it didn't seem to be that there was a... Cu- you didn't notice a culture of it there at the time. Certainly there, there were no coaches on to you about it. Uh, it did seem in that case to be maybe individual athletes making decisions. Yeah, like, you know, my experience there, that's the closest now I've ever been to actually the forefront of the whole drugs issue. Um, I didn't see anything over there. There was nothing really kind of startled me or made me even kind of think about it. Maybe possibly I was a bit naive, but um, it was only when when I came back um, and of the 12 athletes I was training with, one, one of which was me, of course, um, three have tested positive since. And like people would always say, oh, did you see anything? No, I didn't see anything, but I wasn't expected to see. You don't see anything on the track. You don't, like, athletes don't come down to the track and, and take the drugs. It's taken at home. It's taken, you know, away from training, away from the tough sessions. But, you know, one thing I didn't see a whole lot of was, was testing. Um, and that's not to say that it wasn't taking place, again, back in people's houses. But, you know, generally you do kind of see testers at training tracks and training venues, and I didn't see a whole lot. Now, Nothing was ever said to me or nobody ever approached me and said, David, you have to take this. Um, but I would kind of question the role of agents and people like that in right. the whole system. Um, I do think that between coaches, agents and the athletes, it's, that's where I think things are kind of the murky world. Um, but it was, a, it was a huge eye-opener and it was huge kind of to come home and actually then see that athletes that I, I was training with had tested positive for drugs. And I suppose hindsight is always great. You can look back and kind of say, oh, well, that kind of adds up. And that athlete was injured and then he was running really fast. And, um, you know, but when I was there, I didn't see anything on the track Um you know, I just thought these athletes were talented. And, you and that's up, the heartbreaking thing, you know, to be honest. That's, that's the heartbreaking thing. Of course, because you end up probably overworking yourself and getting yourself, uh, your own body breaking down and trying to keep up with these guys. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's what happened with me. I, I lasted almost um, a year there and then I broke down. I couldn't, I, my body just couldn't sustain that level of intensive training. Um, and I, like, you know, I sat in the plane coming home, I was injured, my season was in tatters and, you know, that injury has pretty much um, 
caused the end of my career, to be honest. And you do kind of wonder, like I had one thought coming back on the plane, simply thinking, God, maybe, maybe I'm just not good enough. Maybe I just can't stay up with these guys. Um, and then you hear that a few have tested positive. And that's what makes my kind of my blood boil about it all that, you know, there's people that just seem to have no morals out there. And, um, they're just going to cheat. And, you know, unfortunately, in life, wherever there's fame and fortune, you, you will get people who are going to cheat. And um, I think last night really showed that. Just lastly, David, and I guess we have to be careful here because the Panorama reporter Mark Daly says that there was no evidence that he uncovered that Mo Farah himself was doping. But he says if the allegations regarding Salazar are true, Mo Farah has been coached to world success by a man who has used banned methods. Farah has since come out and uh, quite... Uh, said what we would have expected him to say, that he's never used anything, that he's not aware of anything being done over there. That's uh, against the WADA code. Is there anything more that Mo Farah can do other than issuing that statement to uh, distance himself from from Salazar and from the allegations about his coach? Yeah, like, again, like there was, uh, like you said, there's no kind of fact that people have cheated. And like like we said, regards to testing, no one has failed a drug test. But I do think athletes have to take responsibility of who they surround themselves with and the reputation of who they surround themselves with. And I think that's something that uh, that maybe Mo needs to kind of look at. Um, like, Mo's a similar age to myself. I've, I've watched him come up through the ranks. I've watched his progression. And, you know, he, I like him. He, he's a good lad. But um, you do have to kind of question, you know, who he is surrounding himself with because it's going to lead in that direction. And, you know, for, for the BBC to to air a documentary like that, and, you know, okay, it wasn't aimed at Mo Farah, but it just raises a lot of questions. And I think it's something that, um, you know, he's got to kind of, he's got to manage. He's got to manage carefully. All right. Listen, David Gillick, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. No worries, thank you. The flame hair, flame hair, flame hair, truth, Mr. Ken Early. Mr. Ken Early. Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite somebody. John Hayes, I'm talking about, aren't yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now if you give it up. All right, an interesting perspective from somebody there who watched the program last night with quite a bit of knowledge in advance. It was telling that David was already aware of this, but now it's in the public domain. He did seem quite shocked by a couple of the elements, the alleged use of testosterone medication in high school and the failure failure of the biological passport to show up the EPO being used by the reporter, which I, I, I was quite surprised by, not at all surprised by the effects of EPO, but the fact that the biggest weapon within the sport wasn't able to, or certainly within the anti-doping testing procedures wasn't able to flag anything up uh, flag anything up I don't know what you thought of it Ken yeah I mean I thought uh, David's line about the doctor uh, almost having a bigger role than the coach these days you know was kind of interesting that's where athletics is that maybe that's where athletics has been at for a while uh, and I don't know if athletics is necessarily the only in fact athletics isn't the only sport in which that's uh, that's the case and it is kind of it's grim enough, really, when you when you when you consider the biological passport, and you know the the kind of enthusiasm around the you know, the introduction of this system uh, when it you know when it came in a few years ago, uh, and people saying you know this seems to be like a this is a new kind of approach uh, to to catching dopers. This is a kind of um, 
this is the sort of weapon that's it's more sophisticated than just in competition testing or you know trying to catch them catch them out with a yeah. fail test this is you know actually taking their readings over time and actually you can gain that as well and it just sort of what it shows is essentially that no matter what the system is of detection there is always going to be somebody who knows a way to game that system and they will uh, they will find their way to uh, into the ears of top athletes in various sports around the world and um, you know essentially while you have that human compulsion to cheat and you've got those people on that we were talking about earlier that aren't as troubled as maybe somebody like you would be <laughs> over uh, you know, bending the rules a little bit in their own favor then uh, cheating is going to happen it and does seem people are going to get away with it yeah certainly uh, it does seem uh, it's still, I think, worth f- finding other ways outside of the biological passport. I mean, you, you people need to be ready to talk about these things. And in football, for example, in rugby and other sports, I can't imagine there'd be anyone brave enough for the foreseeable future to anyone within the game, current players, to speak in the way that people were speaking on this documentary. Uh, it seems like in athletics, and even the way David talks about it there, rather than being overly defensive about a sport, which is a default reaction for really, I think, the majority of sports people when they're talking about their own sport. Uh, It looks like there's a passion within athletics among some people anyway to actually get all this. They're at a stage where they feel like they need to get everything out in the open. Not everybody. In fact, it would have to be the minority of people, but uh, it's probably, as I kind of mentioned, the only way really, the best way to get at things is probably to... Uh, investigate in yeah uh, in almost but it's a, it's a different thing you know uh, for for instance in athletics yeah you're talking about the mo- the vast majority of events are individual events you know a drug cheat wins an event that means someone who didn't take the drugs has lost yeah that person is motivated to is is keen to see that drug cheat exposed for what they are in football maybe it's a little bit different I mean I'm, I'm using football as an example but I think it goes for the same uh, in a lot of team it's the same thing in a lot of team sports. You know, a player who wins the Champions League and is then unmasked as having been a drug cheat has just tainted the Champions League victory of all the players who were on the field with them at the same time. You know, nobody wants to. Nobody wants that kind of thing to happen. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a painful process anyway. This kind of unmasking of drug cheats. You know, sometimes happening retrospectively. You know, as with the Tour de France. You know, Lance talking about what are they going to say? Those seven tours of France never happened. And so, you know, you, you going back through the records and putting an asterisk next to a bunch of these teams, you know, there's a lot of people involved who just really would rather none of that happened. It's it's the the starting position. We don't have a problem with that in this sport. This isn't, you know, sprinting. This isn't weightlifting where, you know, drugs don't help you be any better at football. It's a powerful kind of a thing or there's a there's a kind of a powerful inertia. Which is which is stopping people, I think, in in team sports from speaking out. You know, I mean, if 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 you're like a clean footballer who suspects that other players on your team are using drugs, you know, are you going to say anything? I mean, there are a lot of risks to you professionally. And then, if you look, you know, looking back on your career, if it happens retrospectively, you know, your career is tainted simply by association with these other people, or people will suspect that you also were doing it. If players on your team were doing it, you know, so you can see how kind of everybody's interests almost. Are um, are facing in the same direction of mm, let's let sleeping dogs lie on this one. You know what I mean? It's it's which is not to say it's the right uh, way it is, but it's just that the alternative is um, is painful from the perspective of a lot of people, not just the people who who could be directly exposed as having uh, been or, or 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 being drug cheats. The Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast is out now. That's yeah. <laughs> They have asked for that, really. 
Well, you can laugh. I was the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to me now. I'm down to Anfield, I'm a seed, I'm a What are you doing down here, you're showing me, man? Well, on three big things happening today on Football Podcast, one of them is obviously looking ahead to the Champions League final, which is this One of them is looking ahead to the Ireland-England game, which is the next day, Sunday, at the Viva Stadium. And then the other thing on is uh, talking about this continually developing FIFA story, more developments there from Chuck Blazer, uh, his indictment unsealed and containing some new information. Jack Warner wrapping himself in the flag of Trinidad and uh, hoping to portray this as a sort of Trinidad against the world situation. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're mainly what's talked about in the football podcast, which I think maybe is already out. Well, let's get US Murph's take on FIFA right now. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Ryan Murphy, today is a day that we finally salute those great heroes of world sport, the FBI. <laughs> Wait a minute. The Golden State Warriors? No, the FBI. Oh, that is hilarious, man. I thought you guys were, you know, I thought it was just, we would talk strictly Splash Brothers from uh, from here on out, given both A, their imminent rise to the atop the uh, NBA world, and B, your devoted fandom after being out at Oracle Arena for their win over the Houston Rockets. But the feds, as they are wont to do, have usurped the the, uh, the Warriors globally. I know they, the FBI, boy, you know, what? I think you and I have been talking long enough that we were speaking when the FBI was uh, nosing around Barry Bonds' uh, uh, files. And remember, they were... They were in a uh, in a garbage bin in front of Balco. Remember that mm-hmm. sorting out receipts and needles and all that. So, all of a sudden, the uh, the FBI is our is our sports police. And I know you're talking about FIFA and mm-hmm. Sepp Blatter and the most corrupt organization this side of the OIOC. Uh, <laughs> boys from FIFA. I was talking to to Simon off the air, and I was saying, you know, it's kind of funny we have this American tradition, right? Elliot Ness and the Untouchables, played by Kevin Costner in the movie, right? Uh, But we also, it's kind of a weird American dichotomy because we we have glamorized our Wild West outlaw heroes like Jesse James and Billy the Kid and Bonnie and Clyde and all that. And at the same time, we have these uh, legendary uh, feds with their pork pie hats and trench coats uh, like Elliot Ness and the Untouchables. So, that part of the American mythology has reached the global sporting world, and you have us to thank, Owen. How shocked are people that Blatter has ultimately gone down here, that he's resigned? I mean, once we saw that there were these arrests being made over in Switzerland, clearly this business has got, had got serious, but he won, uh, initially he won his re-election, uh, and then later, or early this week, he decides he's going to step down anyway. It seems fairly sure that the FBI are trying to get to the top guy. They're trying to get to Blatter via some of these other characters. But are people quite shocked that he's actually been taken down? 
Well, I imagine the reaction is probably the same as, as it was over there, which is like the the whole idea when the arrests went down that he was not part of it was almost laughable, I think was the word. I mean, we were just like, I mean, it was it was downright comedy that he was somehow not involved, quote unquote, and that it came, of course, timed perfectly. And I'm sure they obviously they rehearsed this or choreographed this, I should say, to make it right around the time of his reelection. So I think when he got reelected the next day, most everybody, I'm sure in Europe and the same in America, were, were laughing. It was like, come on, you, the biggest joke, one of the biggest jokes in the history of sport was that Seth Blatter would, would start another term under this cloud. And I think most of us over here, I don't know how you guys felt, but most of us over here felt like it was a matter of time. You know, that, that, that there was no way he was going to get out of this thing and that there, we didn't know how it would go down. Likely that the feds would get him. And it, it came about, I think, maybe a little quicker than most people thought. Cause it was a pretty quick takedown, maybe Ronda Rousey style uh, UFC, kind of like within the first 60 seconds of the match where she always knocks out her opponent. Uh, the feds kind of got him pretty quickly, but you know it's funny, man. The the, the kind of the, the historical reputation of the federal government over here is that when they sink when they sink their teeth into you, there is no there is no getting out, man. It's like an alligator's chomp. There's no there's no escaping it. The feds do not kind of say, ah, no, we're going to pass on this one, or yeah, we're going to kind of take our time. Now it might have taken them years and years and years to build their case, but the point is that that they spent years and years and years building their case. Because when they when they take something on, they get tenacious. They get uh, uh, there's a tenacity to it. Like I was saying, just ask Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and that crew. Because uh, once they got once they got on those guys' case, they didn't stop until it went to the to the state capitol. I mean, to the U.S. capitol. Pardon me. So, so I think the short answer to your question is that we weren't that surprised. Maybe just on how quick they got him. But certainly, we figured they'd get him one way or another. There were uh, at that press conference that announced the. Investigation subsequent uh, following the arrest had been made last week. One of the characters it could have been the IRS guy, actually, uh, rather uh, intellectually intimidating looking man, said that uh, <laughs> he came out with one of these lines This is the FIFA have been running the World Cup of Corruption, and we're going to show a red card to FIFA, which wasn't very <laughs> funny, but was a nice little soundbite. But there has been funnier stuff done. I know John Oliver and John Stewart have both done sketches. I guess this is ripe for the sort of political satire that is, uh, that's quite popular in the U.S. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, look at what's going on here, too. With the, we, we, sports has become so bloated, uh, not just nationally in America, but internationally, as we see with FIFA. Nationally, here in our country, it's very similar to how guys like John Stewart and John Oliver go after the NC2A, the National Collegiate Athletic Administration, which runs this you know, incredibly corrupt, in, in some ways morally corrupt and financially corrupt in the way that they uh, use uh, athletic labor to make millions and millions, I should mean millions, billions of dollars off of U.S. college football and U.S. college basketball, and yet still try to tell us that the student athletes are amateurs and they shouldn't be paid. Meanwhile, college presidents and bowl executives are getting fatter and fatter and fatter, unbuckling their belts as their bellies expand as they as they feed at the trough of these TV contracts, and the athletes are getting nothing. So guys like Stewart and Oliver have, have taken aim at the NC2A properly, and hopefully that house of cards will come tumbling down eventually. We've had a court case here in the U.S. where a guy named Ed O'Bannon out of UCLA, my alma mater, took them on over using his likeness in the video game, and that was one of the first steps. But it all kind of fits into me of like, 
the, the narrative of the bloated sporting body, you know, whether it's FIFA, the IOC, or the NC2A. So if I'm if I'm a fat cat in sports, I'm probably thinking my days are numbered in some way, shape, or form. This is all very popular, Brian, in Europe, in most of Europe anyway, not in Russia and not in a lot of other places around the world because what was initially a number of months, a number of years ago being billed by Blatter and a lot of people at FIFA as a British media versus the rest of the world kind of uh, hmm. an argument is now the US and the UK against the rest of the world. Uh, so I, <laughs> I, I hate to break that news to you that maybe this isn't as popular everywhere as it seems to be in, in Ireland and the UK. It's like the uh, it's the Iraq War all over again, huh? <laughs> right? It's just Tony Blair and George W. Bush going in uh, going in on their own here, and the rest of the world saying no. That is that is interesting, and and, and in many ways, you know, so historically apt. I mean, my goodness, uh, you know. So the ever since our my native country and uh, the UK settled their differences back in 1812 or so, we've been in lockstep, right? Ever since, it seems like uh, culturally and politically. Uh, uh, whether you want to go through World War One, Two, or whatever, or Iraq, or whatever you want, and now this, so it makes sense to me. Uh, I'm sure we're viewed as uh, uh, Western imperialist pigs who are. are yeah, I'm sure Putin and I, actually, I haven't even really studied uh, Putin's response too much, but I'm certain that he's saying, "What it's uh, it's a corrupt American government." Yeah, he's uh, he's he's yeah. had to go. Yeah, he's had to go. Yeah, right. Of course, as one would, you know. I mean, as as Stalin would at uh, you know at MacArthur or whatever, whichever historical analogy I'm botching right now. Um, but yeah, because east is east, west is west, and never the twain shall meet. Right. So that is kind of funny. But I mean, at least from our perspective here, it was like almost like the biggest no brainer in the history of mankind that this happened to FIFA. And it, to us on the west here, it was like yeah, about time or what took them so long. So. It's interesting to think that there would be any view other than that. I guess it's perspective is everything in life, right? I mean, everybody, one man's trash is another man's treasure, and, and they look at it entirely differently, which is kind of shocking to us, you know? I mean, the deal is, I guess, when you get down to it, right, there's, there's money changing hands and it's not being reported to the IRS, so that's against the law, and that's kind of as simple as we see it. You mentioned the my beloved Splash Brothers earlier on, Brian. What's the dominant storyline? Game one of the NBA Finals is tomorrow. Is Thursday night? Is tonight Thursday? Uh, Steph Curry versus LeBron James in Oakland. What's the story dominating things in the build-up? Well, the story is the wait. Uh, as Tom Petty once sang, "The waiting is the hardest part." I mean, Owen, oh, it feels like uh, the last game they played was the one you were at. That Oracle. <laughs> so I don't know how this goes for you guys when it comes to like a GAA final or. Champions, actually, I guess a little bit analogous. The Champions League final is what June sixth or something like that, right? Champions League is coming Isn't up this that... weekend, yeah. So this this Saturday yeah. night, yeah, yeah, yeah. All oh, right, like, geez, that is this weekend. My goodness, I had forgotten. But um, so, you did the, what was the previous uh, semifinals were played? What about three weeks ago, something like that? Two and a uh, half weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, sounds about right. Oh, no, no, there's a hell of a wait. Yeah. So I don't know how you guys, if you guys think that that's just normal or what, but for us, in, you know, when we get into our tournament playoffs, whether it's the NFL or Major League Baseball or the NBA. We're sort of kind of trained for instant results. You know, I mean, the NFL has a two week break between the conference championships and the Super Bowl, which most people see as a blight on American sport. It's like, are you kidding me? We've got to wait two weeks. Major League Baseball, if, if you have to wait two or three days between games, it's a huge deal. So for us to have to wait eight days between the Cavaliers clinching the East and the Warriors clinching the West, and of course, 
this all comes back to the theme of today's conversation, which is money and power in sport. And that comes back to ABC, the network that televises the NBA Finals, saying that they had sold ad times and dates to certain sponsors. And I don't know what Nike, Adidas, Gatorade, whatever they're doing. But, you know, hey, we sold these guys these ad times. And it's too much of a hassle or too much of a change for us to tell them that their ads are going to air at different times. They just said, you know what? Let's just let the buildup be the buildup. So we've waited eight days. So that's been the huge story is how many different kinds ways can you analyze this thing? How many different ways can you change your mind on who's going to win? How many different ways can you talk about Steph and LeBron being born in the same hospital in Akron, Ohio? Randomly enough, born in the same hospital because Steph's father, Del Curry, who was a famous Charlotte Hornet, did spend one year with the Cleveland Cavaliers and happened to live in the suburbs where his, when Steph was born, it, it was at the same hospital that LeBron was born at. So that's one little fun little tidbit. But yes, of course, everybody's into the fact that this may be, you know, all due respect to the San Antonio Spurs and all due respect to, you know, Dirk Nowitzki versus LeBron, all due respect to Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett versus LeBron in the past. I think maybe most people like this is the best, one-on-one superstar billing we've had in a long time for Steph Curry, the current NBA MVP, to take on LeBron James, who is pretty much could be MVP any year, not to mention his return to Cleveland, not to mention the fact that most people didn't think the Cavs would be here. I remember talking to you guys in December, and when you asked how it's going for LeBron, I was like, not that well. And guess what? It's a long season. They pieced it together. They are playing fantastic basketball right now. But this could be the Warriors' moment. This could be the time when this incredibly deep roster, other than the Splash Brothers, guys like Draymond Green and Andrew Bogan and Andre Iguodala and Harrison Barnes, and the brilliant young coach Steve Kerr, who won five championships when he was uh, Michael Jordan's teammate and he was with San Antonio Spurs, and he's getting his arrival as perhaps one of the bright young coaches in all of American sports. You got uh, a little bit of an East Coast West Coast thing, even though Ohio is not on the East Coast. You do have a pretty true. Western fan base versus an Eastern fan base. So everybody's super excited. We just need the damn thing to start on. It sounds like you're predicting a Warriors win, though, Brian. Just, just, just yeah, that. You, you, you think that that hospital, like, yeah, that hospital in Akron, Ohio, is going to be more proud of <laughs> Steph Curry than of LeBron James? Uh, I think that hospital is probably decorated in Cavalier mustard yellow and maroon, whatever their colors are. It's kind of weird. The Cavs have changed colors through the years. But uh, listen. I mean, so what? I mean, what was it about six weeks ago that I started talking to you guys about you got to pay attention. Mm -hmm. Then four weeks ago, you got to pay attention. Then you guys came here. You saw him make a 62 foot shot the night you guys arrived. And I was like, then we met at AT AT&T Park. And I said, didn't you pay attention? Then you went out there and you saw it. And even though it wasn't a great crowning triumph blowout win, they had to sweat it out down to the last second. You paid attention, and they won the game, and here they are now. They're 12 wins and three losses in the playoffs alone. Since they were down 2-1 to Memphis in that series, they've won eight of the next nine. They were the number one. They had the more wins than any team in the NBA this year. They have home court advantage. They were the number one ranked defensive team in the year, of the year. They were only a tick behind the Clippers as the number one offense. They have the best offense, the best defense, the best home crowd, the best player, the deepest roster, and the better coach. So, yeah, Warriors, Owen. The only question is how many games. Out of respect to LeBron, I've been saying seven. I'll give LeBron all his home games, maybe even one road game, and then they cough one up back to the Warriors. But I've been waiting so damn long that I'm actually changing my prediction now 
I'm becoming so convinced of the Warriors' depth and uh, and that the Cavaliers beyond LeBron don't have what it takes. I think I'm switching Warriors in five, Owen. Warriors in five. All right, sounds pretty convincing. Brian, the waiting is almost over. Enjoy game one tonight. Thanks a million. All the best, Owen. I say I'm a million percent. That is better than a hundred percent. Just a quick update on the athletics doping story before. If you can handle another minute or so of, <laughs> of corruption doping, uh, I don't know. Joe Pavey, the European 10,000 meter champion, says she would run a mile uh, if Alberto's, uh, if she was in Mo Farah's position. She'd run a mile from Alberto Salazar, uh, which is exactly what David Gillick was saying earlier on. Nike have had their say. They, of course, sponsor the Nike Oregon Project, led by Salazar, who also is a personal friend of the Nike founder Phil Knight apparently they say we take the allegations very seriously as Nike does not condone the use of performance enhancing drugs in any manner both Alberto and Galen Rupp have made their perspectives clear and fully refute the allegations made against them this is the same Nike who were happy to jump on board the Justin Gatlin bandwagon despite Gatlin twice being banned for doping Uh, so they may be a little bit selective in their implementation of their morals on this particular one I hope that's enough corruption for you for one day Ken have you fallen out of love with professional sport this week with all of this going on? Um, Has it crushed you, crushed your childlike dreams that you once had about the great feats we see out in the sporting fields? Well, I don't know. I'm just knowing that there's all this, all these terrible things going on almost makes the whole thing more interesting. <laughs> What's that line? You're so pretty when you're unfaithful to me. There's a line in a pixie star. I can't remember which one. And, you know, when I look at professional sport, what I look into it's cheating eyes. I think to myself, oh, this is this is terrible. But at the same time, I'm strangely attracted to you. Yeah, yeah, I, t- I take your point. Ken. Enjoy the Champions League final, there. Thanks very much. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for and listening. You too. You can check out secondcaptains.com for any details on any of our shows and irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts for a list of the other podcasts available on the Irish Times Network. Thanks a million for listening. We'll chat to you soon. Enjoy the weekend. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.